Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis. And I'm Steph Page. We're two Canadian expats now living in Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack. It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And I'm Steph again. Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited for this week's episode. I know this is confusing to people listening, but I just actually listened to it, and it's a good one. <laughs> yes. Um, we're, we're recording this intro after the episode itself has been recorded, so that's how we did it this week because... As we mentioned last week, for the month of June, we're going to have a number of guests on the podcast with us who can speak to what it's like traveling as a black person, because obviously that is not something Andrea and I could ever speak to. It's not our lived experience, but it's an important element of travel that we feel like it is important for our listeners to learn and be aware of and for us to learn as well, of course. So this week, Andrea interview with one of your friends yeah so I had on a really good friend of mine Ajwa we used to work together back in the day back in my radio days in Toronto Um, and for those of you that are from the Toronto area if you watch CP24 Ajwa's everyone's favorite traffic reporter Um, so tune into CP24 if you ever want to see Ajwa in in action Um, we wanted to get her her stories about her experiences traveling as a black woman um, as obviously Steph and I can't relate to and some of the stories that she shared with us are things that I mean you'll hear it in the interview but things that I have never even considered um, for those mm-hmm. uh, that, that are black, that are women, specifically black women traveling. And I think Steph and I have talked about it before and the privilege that we hold in terms of just holding Canadian passports or British passport. I mean, it didn't even cross our minds, even if you have one of these passports, if you're black, some of the challenges that can come with that. Listen, when I was listening to it, what I really took away from it, and we'll talk about it more afterwards, is that, you know, I can I like to consider myself someone who's always cared, who's always actively educated myself and been aware. And then I think this episode showed me really that there's always more to learn because she gets my mind reeling and I'm excited for the listeners to listen. 
Yeah, so let's just get straight into it. Ash. Hey. First off, Steph and I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week to talk to us. Um, it was one of those things I was actually a bit nervous reaching out to you. And the reason being, like, Steph and I have spent a lot of time, you know, reading up on everything that's happening right now with Black Lives Matter in the last couple weeks. And one of the biggest things was that we were kind of going back and forth on, we're like, you know, the messages that we've seen, it's like, it's not up to black people to be educating white people anymore. Um, (laughs) What's going on? And so we were kind of like, okay, do we just have this conversation between the two of us? And, but being two white women in, you know, traveling, we've never really, we've never had to experience racism um, in the travel community. And so that's why we reached out to you. And we were kind of like, it was another thing where I think, again, we thought it was better to do something or say something than not do anything at all. Um, yeah. Right now. So w- I'm super thankful that you came on because you didn't have to. No, you're welcome. Even if just give it another perspective, just to yeah. see what it feels like to travel, like while being black, it's not something you can change. Right. So you have to deal with it in this world and this system that we've all grown up in where we don't, where some people don't see it because that's not their lived experience. Where someone like me, that is my lived experience. I, I don't have a choice. Right. When I'm going in to navigate the world. Like I was, I was saying to, i talked to quite a few people about this, but for me, George Floyd for me was a catalyst. Right like something that is going to bring about, hopefully bring about change. Like I'm tired, but at the same time, I'm really inspired because in my lifetime, this is the first time where I've been able to talk about race and it not be shut down or given the side eye, or that's just another angry black woman who is just angry about something that doesn't exist anymore because we're all the same and we all get along. Mm. When, when you use examples, maybe it's not the overt racist, but it's always there. It's always there under the surface, whether it's in education, legislation. I can even use an example. I'll use Christopher Columbus. Like in school, people learn that rhyme. In 1492, Columbus um, sailed the ocean blue and landed on America. Well, he actually didn't. He landed in the Dominican Republic. So that's a lie. That first off doesn't even have anything to do with race. And there was nothing to discover because as we know, indigenous people were already in North America. Mm. So there's all of these things and they want to paint him like he was this guy that Europeans even looked up to. But if you go to Italy, this guy was a buffoon who thought the world was flat and was literally going to look for the other spice fruit, which he thought because the world was flat, he could just make it there. Mm. So he was never trying to discover another continent. So these are things that you never learn in history because this guy is uplifted like he was somebody that was something. And I think this is the start of a big change and the big lie we have all been living. Mm. And it starts with all of us. And this is just the beginning. And I feel like for Black people, it's a lot of things that we have suppressed and compartmentalized to survive daily lives. And and talking to my husband, who's white, for him, it's the realization that maybe he was a part of it, but not in the way where he was doing it because he thought it was wrong. It's, that's all he knew. Right. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't make it okay. But we are all part of the system. And until we dismantle it, it will continue. 
Yeah. Well, and I think that's a lot of, um, you know, when Steph and I were talking about this and us doing a travel podcast, we, you know, we started, and it's crazy to think that only in the last couple of weeks we sat down and we're like, wow, we've never really acknowledged our own white privilege when it comes to traveling. And we've talked about in previous episodes, we've talked about being privileged in the sense of being from Canada, holding Canadian passports or holding a British passport or, you know, Steph's getting her Australian one soon, but never around the fact that we're white and it got us, you know, thinking a lot about this. And this is, you know, exactly why we wanted to bring you on, bring, you know, black people on to get their right. firsthand experience. Um, now, one of the things I think when it comes specifically to the travel community, I feel like, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of people do one of, if not one of the most important aspects of travel is to be able to learn and experience new cultures um, and which, you know, in turn, I think makes us more accepting of people from different cultures and races but because yep. of this, I think we automatically assume that within the sort of travel community, like it, racism is non-existent. But after <laughs> speaking to you and speaking to some of my other black friends, they're just like, no, nah. like, you yeah. know, and you were, when I reached out to you, you're like, I have stories left, right and center about where, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, you've traveled somewhere and you've experienced um, racism. And, you know, again, me being a, a, a white person, I just... It, it didn't even cross my mind. So even, even when you're traveling, it's, you know, I've got a lot of questions that we'll go through, but um, yeah. just starting off, let's just talk about you a little bit. You, you grew up in Canada. As- I was born in uh, Windsor, Ontario, late seventies uh, to two parents who had come both from Ghana in their late teens and they came for school. Mm-hmm. And what you were not taught in school is Within Ghana, people either have a lot of money or they don't have money. And my, 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 my parents, both of them came, they went to school. They were, because of colonialization, their school system is under the British system. So my mother's education was equivalent to somebody who went to school in Britain. So when she came to Canada, she came here for the sole purpose of going to school. People don't think that. People think when immigrants come here, that they're just coming here to work because where they were was so bad and this is their only option to be here. That was not the case for my parents in the late 60s, early 70s. So she went, did her undergrad in Waterloo and then she went to Windsor where I was born and she was doing her master's at the time and then I came along. <laughs> and after that, we moved to Toronto when I was four and I've always grown around every like people that it was multicultural for me. I grew up in North York and it was all colors of the rainbow. And even in that, like I would experience a Rac- lot of uh, racism. I was going to say like Toronto, we, I grew up near Toronto. Steph and I are both from Brantford. Yeah. What, what? Right. West of Toronto. Um, but even so, I think Southern Ontario and Toronto specifically, we talk about being, you know, it's, we call it one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And again, it's one of those things where you hear that you're like, oh, racism can exist because everyone's living amongst each other. But right. someone- and you know what? In Toronto, of, I would say like travel to a lot of places. There is no place like Toronto. So, and maybe, maybe in a little ways, England is sort of like that. But I find in Toronto, people will hang around with anybody. Right. Yeah. And, and and it's not like a weird thing to see like a group of every different race hanging around with each other. And it's, it's just a nothing burger. Whereas if I go to the States, yeah, you know what? It's very multicultural, but people very, they very much, they stick to their groups. Right. So it's literally white people uh, hanging out with white people, black people, black people, 
uh, people that are Mexican and, and so on and so forth. So in that way, yeah, we, it's different for, for Torontonians, hmm. but I will say even growing up, no, you like, you always, you would always, you could come across somebody that was racist. I still remember playing on a playground and my one friend, she was Indian. Uh, the guy that I was playing with was probably, he was Latin American and we were skating on the ice and this one kid who was Korean came up to my friend and used the P word, the derogatory term for that people use on uh, Southeast Asian people, right. called her that. She cowered. At this point in my life, people had already called me so on and so forth. So I'd already had a tough skin. I was not going to back down. I literally, I felt all of this rage. I was 10 years old at the time. And I broke this kid's nose. Like, I punched him and I broke his nose. Oh, yes. And I said, I was enraged. I said, how are you calling this person, who was also a person of color, I knew this at 10, which a kid at 10 shouldn't know this, but I did because of life experience. Yeah. How are you, somebody also a person of color, think you're better than her, and you're calling her this and you're making her feel this way? You're disgusting. And yeah, that was it for me. They had to pull, they, three teachers had to pull myself off of this kid I was, back. <laughs> well yeah, and I, was like, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine today and you know the people yeah. people that are just using and again kids like a 10 year old the fact that they know that but they're learning it from somewhere you know and at 10 from some, like to me it's it's insane I, I this learned behavior this learned hate and that's overt so we're already growing up in a system where we're socialized to believe certain things certain social norms, certain beauty edit etiquette, even within legislation. It's, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous, ubiquitous. We feel like it's so big that we can't do anything, but the difference is, and this is almost like going off in a little bit of a tangent, but not so much. If you really want to be a really good anti-racist, somebody that is fighting against the system, it's not something you do on the weekend or something you do um, just once every year like it's a holiday this is something that's constant because you know what the racists are doing they're working 24 7 to keep the systems in place yeah. or when something bad happens like george Floyd, you know it's great right. i feel like everyone you know the last couple of weeks i feel like everyone has We're been active right. and they've had a voice but it's like everyone needs to keep that up you know it's not going to be right. focus on it and listen there's going to be there's going to be fatigue and you need like a moment for yourself and you need all of this but at the same time you can't take your gas, take your foot off the pedal. You, right. you can't, you have to keep going because if you do, nothing will change. And I get people want it to be over and people will be doing things where they're performing and they're acting like they cared and they don't really care. Like for me, I'd appreciate it. If you really didn't care, you just said you didn't care. Yeah. You don't have to put the black square and act like this matters to you. Or you don't have to send like my husband's getting all this insanity from uh, other white people who are saying systemic racism doesn't exist. Mm. These videos where they're going onto the Google machine and they're like, let me see, let's find random black person who doesn't believe systematic racism is a thing. YouTube. Every race, right? white person. Every race, like, like you feel uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable with this conversation. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to believe that you were culpable at all. So what do you do? You owe, you try to seek out something that, suits your own narrative and keeps you in your comfort space. Well, I don't think so. 
And that's it. And that's something I've been saying the last couple of weeks. And I've had, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that Candace Owens videos. And for those of you listening, Candace Owens is is a disgusting, vile human being. She's a right winged uh, conservative activist who is known for exploiting people's deaths for like political propaganda. She's a massive Trump supporter, but she's black. And she's the person that white people can hide behind and go, but look, a black person said this, right? And they can hide behind their, their, their racist feelings exactly. because then they can feel okay with it because it's a black person saying it. And so they feel by putting it out, then other black people can't challenge that because that black person is entitled to their feelings. But you know what, if you look at really what that is for herself, that is her own self-hatred, like legit. And I don't care if it sounds politically incorrect. I don't give a, you know what? She literally has, because of years of imperialism and colonialization, she has no idea. I can even use an example. If I were to do 23andMe, they're not going to know exactly where I'm from because you know what? There was no records that were kept on uh, Black people or African Americans. There wasn't. So if you don't know where you are from, that's a sense of loss. That's a sense of, I don't know who I am. What is my identity? Like you can, you could do a family tree and link it all the way back to where exactly your ancestors are from, because there are records. There's oh, a sense. We've, and we've done it. And my, my family's Dutch. And like, and you know what? We've, right. we've had these open conversations about, we were very much part of slavery back in the day. I mean, you know, right. it's kind of, what, Holland, Portugal, the UK, America, like we're right. one of the top five. South Africa. What do you think Africans are? They were the Dutch. Yeah, exactly. Um, the war, like it all started from that. And who was who started colonialization and imperialism? It was the Brits. And then it just spread like wildfire because you know what you were doing? That old, horrible saying. You're like, they need to just put, pick up their pants off their bootstraps and, and just do it because they're lazy. Well, you know what happens when you go to countries and you strip them of their natural resources? What are they surviving on? Yeah, it's bad. What are you surviving on? So you're pillaging, you're taking everything, you take their gold mines, you take their diamond mines, all of these things that were natural resources, and what are you left with? You're left with nothing. You don't own anything anymore. These were your lands, and you don't own crap. Yeah. Because somebody came in and decided you were subhuman, you were something that were goods and services, and especially you take it to the new world, you take it to the United States, what we know today is the United States of America, under their constitution. And this is, this is not like centuries and upon, like, uh, like thousands and thousands of years ago. This was 200 years ago. That's- under the constitution of the United States, Black people were three-fifths a person. Right. A dog was more. A bird cost more. They were property. Mm. They and were property. a lot of people are arguing, you know, oh, it was only... Uh, it was, you know, hundreds of years ago, get over it. It wasn't that long ago. It really it wasn't. wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and there's still, I mean, it's 2020 and, you know, it takes a black man, you know, having his neck kneeled on for nearly nine minutes and dying on what's, you know, considered a modern day lynching. It's on video. People have watched it. Yep. Um, and you know, people, there's the debate first of all, where I'm like, why is anyone debating this? People want to debate whether he should be a martyr or not. It's like, he didn't want to be a martyr. He wasn't, he didn't put himself out to be killed. First off, a martyr is somebody that chooses to die. Exactly. Um, 
decides to die for other people to survive. Um, I don't know about you, when he was at this store and that clerk decided that he had a illegal $20 bill, which is fine to call the cops because the cops are supposed to come and assess the situation, not escalate it, and then end up on somebody's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds until the life is out of him. And then two minutes more while he's dead, you decide not to get up. Right. And you act like that is normalcy. And it took that because you had Ahmaud Aubrey, you had Breonna Taylor. You can keep going back in the same state, Philando Castile. He had the right to carry. That cop told him, yeah. um, I want to see your license and registration. He goes, officer, my hands are up. You told me to get my license and registration. I'm just getting it out of my glove compartment and shoots him dead. That same cop who was on the Minnesota police department, he's still an officer. He's still an officer. That's insane. That's insane because he feared for his life. What did you fear for? Yeah. That he was black. That's enough. He can fear that he's black and that is okay. The irony of, of uh, George Floyd and what we're talking about, systemic racism, yeah. and if people don't understand what that is, we're not going to give you a lesson on it right now. Go and, you know, research it and understand it. Go to your Google machine, the same one that some of you did go to, yeah. to look up a black person yeah. who doesn't believe in systemic racism. Now let's do the other thing and yeah. go on that same Google machine and you'll find copious amounts exactly. of examples of systemic racism. But yeah, the irony of George Floyd using a 20, a counterfeit $20 bill where it's like- right. The man probably, you've got a group of people that you've suppressed for years and years and years that have to go out and use counterfeit money. Right. You know, and then this happens and it's like, yes, systemic racism is the thing. It's like, oh my God, how is, uh, there's so many, you know, just. There's so many examples of it. In I can use experience of me when I was in university and I was, uh, my major was history and it was a Mod West Civ civilizations uh, course and the professor was fully fully racist full-blown racist had like these odd theories about uh, darwinism and used that with in terms of people and not just biology which is first off you shouldn't be using but he had tenure and you could never get rid of this professor this professor i still remember i wrote a historiographical paper and thank god for one of my friends who was an ally in my class she was always getting really really good grades and this teacher was always, no matter what I did, was giving me a C. So we did a test. Mm. I don't remember what her paper was on. Mine was on uh, witchcraft. And we had to both write papers. So all I did, she put her name on my paper. I put my name on her paper. Smart. After all of this, getting her grades back, he calls her and he's like, oh my God, your paper, this is the best thing you've ever written. I think you should really consider a career and maybe getting your master's in history, maybe do your PhD, all of this over this one paper. Wow. And I get my paper, it's hers, not mine, didn't write this, get even a worse mark than I've ever gotten ever. It was like, I think I got like some C minus or something. And then, so I'm at the front of the class. He's giving me my paper. My friend's coming up to the front of the class and she's like, sir, I have to talk to you. He's like smiling ear to ear, scowling at me, smiling from ear to ear with the ear, ear to ear with her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yes, can I help you? And she's like, I need to tell you something. That paper I handed in, that was actually Agile's paper. And the paper that you graded for Agile was mine. You should have seen all the color leave this man's face. Wow. So he realized he, like, fuck. He, he was looking at her. And being like, but are you sure? 
And she's like, oh, I'm positive that that was Adjua's paper. And he's like, but like, you know, and she goes, no, I don't know. That was Adjua's paper. Yeah, we did this. And I said, thank you. And I said, thank you so much for my mark. (laughs) Bye. Because that was our final grade. And it was like 60% of your mark. People still want to argue that. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with the color of someone's skin. It's definitely down to. Like it's, it's insanity and it doesn't always have to be overt. It's not in people just dropping the end bomb every time you go somewhere. It's, you're talking about something that's happening to you. And then people want to say, and I'll, I'll use George Floyd again, him dying wasn't enough. Now you got to look at his background because he has to be a pristine, clean person to deserve any sort of outrage because he was murdered. Because the same things don't apply. Why am I looking at, I don't care if he was a mass murderer before this incident. That cop didn't know that he was a mass murderer, but he still decided to kill him. And And he didn't care. And the cop now has just done the exact same thing. I mean, why are we, you know, if you're going to focus on someone being a murderer or being a violent person, why are you not putting that rage and anger towards the actual cop? Why were you going into the Google machine? Because it takes two seconds to see that that cop had a rap sheet. And not even a year before he killed somebody else. And he's still working. And that's the same thing I had a few people send me, you know, like, oh, have you seen George Floyd's like criminal history? I'm like, have you looked up the cops history? Oh no. Because you seem to not care. You yeah. seem to be okay. Like let's And that that has everything to do with them. You gotta look inward. Why are you so quick to look at what this black person did instead of the person doing the crime? Mm-hmm. That's it. I've been trying to put this into perspective the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah. I love a good analogy. And some people that I have spoken to, and this is a thing nowadays, I think I yeah. think genuinely people that are racist and then I do think there's people that just don't understand and you have to kind of dumb it down for them and put it into you know a, to they have to be relatable exactly and I've been trying to do that the last couple of weeks you know certain things like I I was speaking to uh you know this girl who's like well I can't be racist I've dated lots of black guys I've slept with guys I'm like that's the equivalent of a man saying I can't hate women because I've had sex with a woman I'm like do you right. see how it works like it's it's the same thing Okay. Yeah. And not just she was racist, you know, to say, well, she's just, she's a part of the system. And like, they say there's not systemic racism. Here's like just the perfect analogy. So if this is how it is, we're all born, quote unquote, we're all born. We're supposed to have equal opportunity for everything. Right. But the reality is if I use a river for black people, we're constantly swimming against the stream. White people are swimming with the current. Mm. So imagine that. So every day it is, it's just hard for you just to make it through where, you know, as a white person, you just are on that canoe and you're just, you're going to said destination and the water's going to carry you there. Whereas mm-hmm. the black person, you got to use that much more energy just to get there because you are facing all of these obstacles that are in place from history, which you learn in school, which is a lie, mm-hmm. um, from legislation that is put in place from redlining to make sure people don't live in certain areas in certain communities. Mm-hmm. From the media where if you see somebody, and this has been done for a long time, where you, on television, you see a criminal and it's a black person and it said black person. And then they're giving you a history of their background, of what they did. Not about just a crime that they just committed. Mm-hmm. It's everything that they did. So then, you know what? You're like, oh, that's just a bad person. That's just another black person who's doing this. You know how many times people have said to me, oh my God, Adjoy, you're not like those black people again. That is a form of the system. That's a form of white supremacy. And people don't even realize it. Why are you saying that? Because you were raised in a system that is t- 
telling you and preaching to you, this is normalcy, that there's no problem to say to me as a black person, you're not like the other black people. Why do you think that is a tap on the shoulder? Why do you think that's a good thing? It's not a good thing. What are the other black people? We are not a monolith. Right, exactly. And I think as well, what you were saying, um, you know, the whole, we're all in a river, yeah. swimming, you're swimming against the, uh, the current and, you know, as white yeah we don't we don't have to um i think the other thing is understanding and what people don't understand right now is the yeah. difference between equity and equality right exactly and what the black community needs right now and this goes and again i had a, a great analogy i put up on my instagram about a canoe i don't know if you saw that i won't go into my canoe analogy but it's the <laughs> idea of you know when you say things like all lives matter it's yeah. like yeah, we get it like we're just, you know, we're all important, but right now it's the black community. They are the ones that need this support more than white people do. So let's give it to them right now. And every time you say something like all lives matter, it takes away, you know, that, that support that, you know, black people. It need. does because uh, we have been suffering for thousands of thousands of years. And I know it's been all over the internet about the house on fire and it is the perfect, it is the perfect analogy because if all the houses do matter, because we all pay property tax and all of those things, but when that one house has been in flames for over 400 years, and all we're asking for is the water that you've had forever, that's all we're asking for. So we can be on the same playing field, because so we don't want our house to burn to the ground. So we have absolutely nothing. And that's it. And you need the water more than we do right now. And that is right. what you don't need water on your house that is not on fire. And equity, equity is the path to equality. And once we start you know, supporting mm -hmm. things like Black Lives Matter movement and we're, we stop debating the fact that racism is even, you know, people that want to debate this, I'm like, what are you debating? You want to play devil's advocate. You're literally advocating racism, you know? Right. Like you've decided to advocate the devil, <laughs> which in this case, right. racism, you know. It's the original sin. It's literally the original sin. If you're like a religious person and when it comes right down to it, you benefited from this system and you want to keep benefiting from it, yeah. whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you get a payoff, like being in this position, not having to worry about this, not something for you is just for a minute for myself being a black woman. That's not going away. That's always going to be there. Something I always have to see and constantly have to live with and have to navigate a system around yeah. because it's awkward to have this conversation about something that we are all involved in. And unless we all take part in it, nothing's going to change. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's been the last couple of weeks and myself included in this, I probably haven't acknowledged my white privilege as much as I should have. But, you know, again, it's, it's like you said, everything's kind of ingrained. I've just never ha had to think about it. You know, and and it does take something big, like you know what's happened with George Floyd, unfortunately. But I feel like at least people are talking now, and it's you know, and like you said, like this is just the beginning. Um, let's talk travel. <laughs> let's get it. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely loving this conversation, but for the sake of a travel podcast, we should get into the. the the good stuff but um so one of the things Steph and I had talked about again in previous episodes being privileged to hold a Canadian passport but mm. again we've never thought about once again being white people holding a Canadian passport now you as a black woman you have a Canadian passport which I'm sure that you agree it is I think it's quite a privilege to be from a country like Canada but 
I'm sure that you've even still traveled to certain places, even holding a Canadian passport, but because you're a black woman. Yeah. And with my name, right? So it's not like my name is Stacy Miller. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So when I traveled before and it can be problematic, mm. you have my name, which people can never pronounce, which is, which always drives me up and insane. You can pronounce a hockey player's um, Eastern European name, which could have, um, at least 10 to 20 effing uh, letters in it. But when it's my name, it's like you're seeing something that is so insane that you have no idea how to say it. Anyways, I digress. But <laughs> holding a Canadian passport with my name, I get a question more. Right. People will ask 101 questions. Uh, where were you born? Windsor, Ontario. Oh, where were you really born? Windsor, Ontario. So why do you have that name? Because that's the name my parents gave me. So you're, you're not from like Africa. I said, uh, no, I'm not from the full continent. No, I'm not. Mm. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not from the full continent. They're like, no, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, in Africa, there are countries and every country is different. Just like in Europe, when you go to Europe, people don't say to you, you're from Europe. They say you're either from Italy Mm. or Portugal. I'm like, Africa is not a monolith. The countries are very different and people have different cultural backgrounds. So it like, it becomes this thing. And I obviously sometimes I have to check myself. I can't be so angry in front of um, somebody working for border services because that could get me into a world of trouble. But sometimes I just have enough and you're not asking other people these questions, but you're asking me 101 questions and I'm not a threat but you could be letting a Bill Smith in who is a terrorist and he could be carrying a bomb, but you only ask him the one question. Why is that? And do you think with your passport, I mean, do you think you've been questioned before where people think it's like maybe a fake passport? Yeah. So I, so in 2000, um, I went to Ghana. That's where my parents are from. And we went to visit uh, family. My mother had a house at the time in Accra, which is the capital and coming back, I didn't come back with uh, my mother. I was, in, I was in university at the time. So I was coming back because I was going back to school in, after January, after the holidays. Uh, while I was there at the stopover, first off, you know, at a stopover, when you're in transit, you're not leaving the airport. So there's no need for anybody to ask you questions because you're just waiting for that flight to go to the next, to your next destination. And mine was Canada. For some reason, because I was going to Canada, um, and wasn't just getting off in Amsterdam, I needed to be asked 101 questions coming from Africa, coming from Ghana and being told, where are you from? Um, you came from Accra. Where are you really from? All of these really crazy questions that nobody would ever get asked. Having a Canadian passport, it didn't matter. They saw the color and they saw my last name and they saw the country I'm coming from. Because as you know, unless you're from the Western world, you can't, you have to go to an embassy and bribe people or have a lot of money to get a, get a visa and then try and get a passport. And that's insane. Why is that happening? Because what's to say that somebody that is from the UK doesn't want to come to Canada and just work there, but you give them all the freedom in the world to travel wherever they want with the idea that they're just going to go back to where they are. Why are you assuming that somebody who has money and is from say Ghana or somebody that is from Egypt or somebody that's from South Africa, they could fully travel and go back because that is their home. They have no intention of staying there, but you 
under the system of colonialism and imperialism because you've stripped these countries of their lands and their means, you almost know that you think in your mind that they're going to come here and take from you. So that's literally what that all stems from. This idea that these countries have to have a visa, but all of these westernized countries don't. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never, and again, I've never had to think about that, but you just saying it out loud, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. It it doesn't make sense. But I mean, in terms of it happening, I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And it's not something you think about because for you, like what your dad, your dad is from the UK? My grandmother on my dad's side. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so, in, and then it's like either what the UK, Canada, or, and you have like uh, Dutch ancestry. So for you, it's, a, it's not for you to think of those things because nobody's going to question you at the airport. If you're either from whether it be England, Canada, Netherlands, wherever the case may be, they're not going to question you. No. They're not going to ask you 101 questions. Like I know me and this past New Year's, me and Warren went uh, to New York for New Year's. And we're at, you land, we took Lake Porter. So we landed at Newark airport and this is the most craziest thing. So this is what, this was 2020, like 2019 is when we left. So it was going into 2020. We are getting off at the airport. It took forever to get through. And I have a Canadian passport. I'm not international. I'm not considered international because North America is not considered international and coming through the States. Mm. We get put into the line where there's international people. Couldn't figure it out. But then there was a common denominator. Everybody in that line that had a Canadian passport or a U.S. passport was put into this international lineup because all of those people had one thing in common. They were all black. So Warren was only put in that line with me because we're married. I was going to say. And I was a black person in the relationship. Else, he wouldn't. And we were traveling with another couple. They were white. They didn't, and they had Canadian passports. They went into a total separate line. Totally separate line. And we saw everybody else in that line had international passports. They were not, they were not Canadian and they were not American. They were either from Europe or wherever they were from, but it wasn't from North America, but we were stopped. And there was a couple in front of us. They were both black. They were stopped. A couple behind us. Same thing. That's, That's present day. That's present day. And that's another thing, again, being a white person, as you said, I, I mean, I can tell you, I came back from, I don't know where it was recently. And I, I had my British passport and I was coming back to, uh, to London, put my passport in the machine and it wasn't yeah. recognizing my face. I think I had drank a lot of wine. I think I was coming back from Lisbon and I was hung over as fuck that day. Um, and I look pretty good in my passport photo. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. I'm like smizing, looking all, I wasn't looking like that this day. Anyways, it didn't recognize me. And when I tried to like scan it through, so I had to go to uh, someone sitting at the desk and the woman just kind of grabbed my passport and she looked at it and she was like, do you have another piece of ID? I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm being like questioned. And then I gave her my um, Canadian driver's license. That's the only other like idea I have. And she looked at it. She went, oh, right. yeah, you're Canadian. Yeah, go ahead. I'm like, really? She didn't question anything. Whereas this machine had said, like, it's not me. This woman looked at me, presumably was like, white woman, you know, the second piece of ID I had was Canadian. And she went, yeah, all right, yeah, go ahead. Right. Which, and, and that was one of the things that came to mind where I'm thinking if it was, you know, a black per se, it was you that happened to, I feel like you probably would have been questioned. Oh, no way. I I would have to find um, a reason, a season and a plan. Like just to get out, just to get out of that situation, yeah. I'd be detained at the airport. 
100%. It would be, the idea would be that I probably took somebody else's yep. passport or whatever the case may be. And if I tried to just show a driver's license, that was probably somebody that I stole it from. Yeah. And yeah. that was not legit me. And I mean, that would be grounds for whatever they wanted to do at that time. And the license I showed her as well was an expired driver's license. Like it was just one I used to carry around for ID. And she just went, oh yeah, there I go. And I think I recognized it then because I, same thing, you kind of look around in that airports, that's where you do see, as you said, different lines. You start yeah. noticing the color of people's skin, where they're lined up, where, you know, people are being directed. Um, yeah. that was one of the things that, that crossed my mind where I saw people, you know, I saw black people sitting on benches where they were sitting and waiting to be spoken to. And I was thinking, I wonder if I was black, if that would yeah. have handled a lot differently. And these are, I think the things now, again, when we talk about white people acknowledging your white privilege, you have to have these moments and, and just at yeah. least acknowledge it. You know, I can't, it's the same thing. I'm like, I can't help the color of my skin. And you know, if, yeah. if. Wait, and you know, nobody like black people aren't asking that. Like, right. I don't want you to change the color of your skin. I'm just asking to be on the same playing field. Right. I don't want to have to go to an airport and be questioned X amount of times because you have an idea of where I'm from because of how uh, you've learned this behavior that you've been socialized to believe that black is less. Right. That shouldn't be in your thinking and thought process. Listen, this work that we've all started to do to make changes, it's going to take, oh my God, it, some of this stuff, legislation will happen in our lifetime, but the education part, that's going to be a generation. Right. That is going to be a generation because to unlearn what we've learned for centuries, that's going to take so much work mm -hmm. and it'll be like in the next generation, if we're lucky, yeah. that is not going to be ingrained with the stain of systemic racism and white supremacy. Like and, it's and the only way. And that, and that's a big part of it as white people, but a big part of it right now is just at yeah. least acknowledging and finding these little moments where you can say, ah, do you know what? Oh. I just experienced my white privilege or I, I, you know, that, that was right. white privilege. And just, just. And following it out, you know what? It doesn't have to be your experience. You could see it. Say you're, say you are at an airport traveling or, you're doing a tour and you see like behavior that is unjust mm -hmm. instead of being silent when you know it's wrong or now you're aware of it because once you're aware when you know better you do better mm -hmm. now if you're aware and you're seeing and you know what this is call it out stop it because by being silent you're allowing that person to do whatever they were doing and you're allowing a racist society to thrive and you don't want that because it's toxic it's just toxic and when secrets keep us sick period. And once you start becoming aware of these moments, you will subconsciously, I think, continue to be, it's like, you know, when you hear, you start yeah. a constant, you know, like, I don't know, ring in the, in the background and you don't notice it yeah. for the longest time. And then all of a sudden you hear it and you can't not hear it. And while it might right. be uncomfortable and annoying, you're just going to like, I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Like once you start acknowledging it, and as you said, it doesn't have to happen to you, but if you see, as you said, an airport's a great spot to do this, look around yeah. and start picking out where you can identify sort of white privilege and you will automatically, your brain will just automatically start doing it once it's a practice. Well, you'll, you'll see it. Like we, oh my God, this was like, we had our, we went on our honeymoon last year. So we went to Spain and uh, we went to Greece and on our way back from Greece uh, that was our last stop and we were going back to Spain because that's where our flight was taking off from at the airport in Santorini 
so it was like, it was first stop. It was a gong show getting through that airport. But once we were at the front of the line, it clearly, we're married. We are together. This woman, first stop, is looking me up and down. I know that look. I know that face. I know exactly what it looks like. This woman, instead of putting us together on the flight, she puts Warren at the front of the plane and me at the back of the plane. What? Yeah. I mean, this was actually going to be one of my questions talking about Warren. As you said, Warren's white and traveling. I was, you know, going to ask, what is it, you know, do you think that has, it's beneficial sometimes as a black woman traveling some places with a white man, or do you still experience what you've just basically said that, you know, you it's literally at the end of the day, depends on who you're in contact with. Hmm. It's not like it's a bonus because it almost becomes, they're looking at him like, why are you with this person? And, and vice versa, right? So you get a lot of that. You can get those stares. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it a lot when you go to Europe. It's like that. You get the stares of me from men where Black women are objectified. You're seen as like an object. And we were in Mallorca and Warren had gone to the bathroom and I was just, I was sitting just waiting there drinking uh, one of my many vodka waters, <laughs> enjoying myself at this bar in Mallorca. And these guys come up, three German dudes come up and they're like talking. They're like, oh, where are you from? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing here? And automatically they hear my accent. They're like, oh, you're from America. I'm like, no, I'm from Canada. Then again, another comment. Oh, there's black people in Canada. Yeah. There's a lot of black people in Canada. Oh, oh my God. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Oh, you should come to my boat because, you know, like, you know, we have like a lot of like good music, you know, we have a lot of hip hop. So then it becomes that just. Mm, which anyone, really anyone that knows you, I mean, I've never seen someone that knows all the words to like a Rage Against the Machine song or. Right. And so you have this idea where all of that aside being like an overt racist, then you have these covert uh episodes of racism where people are saying things that are just so based on a stereotype because you believe all black people exist within a monolith and he thinks he's being complimentary to me by saying these things when it's an annoyance because we are not all the same we do not all do the same things we're not all um hip-hop nation or this that or the other mm-hmm. like we're allowed to like other things right we're allowed to a diversified group of people but these guys automatically assumed that a first stop when they were talking to me they fully thought that I was going to have an accent accent and maybe I was working and when I mean working probably thought I was a prostitute mm-hmm. when they heard my accent then they had to take a step back that that wasn't what was happening one guy in the group actually walked away so the two stayed the one was like really like really into me wanting to know all of this information and uh, just dropping stereotypes left, right and center, and then trying to invite me back to his boat so I can listen to all the hip hop music because that's what all black people are doing today. Right. Just listening to all the hip hop music on the boats. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm married. And then on cue, Warren comes back. He sees Warren and then like, sort of like rolls his eyes right. and like, like does one of those things like darn, like almost like looks at him and then even worn in that moment because now he's been with me long enough that he's experienced some sort of craziness. And he realized this guy's looking at him like, oh, you beat me to it. Like it's a game. That's how insane, that's how insane this insanity is. And what, because Warren is a white man as yes. well. Right. I was right. Gonna, and, and how, like, 
how does Warren deal with it? Like, do, I guess it's one thing if you're dealing with, you know, something like that happening, say it's in Canada and you're in your home and it's probably a lot easier to speak up whether right. or whether it's Warren being like, dude, back the fuck off. That's my wife, whatever. Right. But you right. know, I, and I'm sure there's, there's countries where it's like, or even cities, I don't know that it's like, all right, yeah. let's just not start a fuss we don't know what the repercussions will be if we can get like have there been any experiences like that where you've either had to tell warren like you know just leave it or maybe he said it to you like as just let's not you know well i had like after that like like obviously it's for honeymoon i was having like a good time but then it just brings you back to all of these things that you compartmentalize and sort of suppress right you want to believe that people are good and you want to believe that a majority of people don't think like this, but when you constantly encounter like these microaggressions towards you and these things that always remind you that you are always black first mm-hmm. and that's, that's all you are. You come to a point where you break down. So Warren saw that I was breaking down and he's like, he was so taken aback. Cause I don't, I don't usually break down. I usually uh, try to not even just take it on the shoulder, but I'm either, I either say something or I'm just like, honestly, they're not even worth my time. But I just had, in that moment, I was supposed to be on a honeymoon enjoying myself. And these people took that away from me in that moment. Right. And it like left like a stain on me. And that broke his heart. And he, they had walked away. And then he got so angry because I was so hurt. He wanted to leave and go chase them down and do something. I said, listen, we're not trying to be uh, in jail abroad. I'm not about that life. No. Right. So <laughs> we had to just forget it. But that ruined our night like ruin my buzz because these assholes decided what they wanted and what their idea of what they thought this black person was, they could care less about how it would affect me because in the moment they wanted their five minutes of fun or whatever the heck they wanted in that moment. This mother's day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. But yeah, this is like a weird reality. We've never had anybody say, come up to us and be like, call him like an end lover. None of that has happened to us. But we've had like the insane things where people will just be staring at you because they know at some level, people know it's, we live in a time where it's not appropriate. Unless you are a card carrying member of the KKK, Mm -hmm. um, you know better. You know, it's not, you can't come out and just say that to people, Mm -hmm. but you think it. And you see it, you see it. Like we were talking about music. When I go to shows, I've been going to punk rock shows forever since I was a teenager. And I still remember being at a good riddance show and 
Nice. This was the late 90s. And in Toronto, there was a big, like, neo-Nazi contingent. There was a lot of them. And good riddance, they were, they were so anti-that. Mm-hmm. But neo-Nazis loved to show up at their shows and just cause shit. So they would come to shows and I remember I was there with one of my buddies and I would always mosh and I was looking forward to the show and he's like, Adwa, you can't do that today. You see those guys? They are skinheads. They are waiting. They are waiting for anybody to be in that crowd and they will beat up anybody that they want to. And that's what they're looking for. And that's how to navigate. I can't have fun because there are racists looking to kick my ass and I just have to take it. See, that's another, it's funny we're talking about like, I, I was probably at that Good Riddance show in the late night when I was like 14, 15 and I was like sneaking out. Like, I mean, I lived in Bramber. We were an hour away. So like I'd get like my older friends, we'd drive to Toronto and go to the punk rock shows. Um, right. yeah, even like I was like a white girl in a mosh pit. I would have never thought like there's skinheads there trying to, you know, it's all these things. Yeah. Like, let's be honest at a punk rock show. It's not like copious amounts of uh, people of color period at these right. shows. It was like, right me and maybe this one girl who always like was I would always see her and we'd always look at each other and she and she was Asian and again her friends told her don't go to the front because these people are waiting to smash your head in Mm, yeah because you are other and you are different and they don't want you here and even you have the band who's anti that and would preach that and these people would still show up because they wanted to cause chaos and they wanted to people feel like make people feel like they didn't belong there. And it's it is that way. You go to like I go to shows when I travel and you know me, like I love my festivals. <laughs> so yeah, like, I'll travel and go to festivals and you will see the same thing. And it won't be it won't be like that, like a skinhead looking to kick my ass, but it'll be me at the front row, front row of like, say I'm going to see the Strokes, and you know my love of the Strokes, so I know every word to every Stroke song. Same. And same like your like, love for the like, Strokes is on another level. You know, it's a it's a sickness. Um, but I'm I'll be front row singing all the words, and you will always have people just staring, not paying attention to the sto- show, watching me as I sing every word. Like, like I should. I'm singing that like oh or surprised and shocked that I do. And that's still that's another thing that's a part of the system because I don't fall into your neat little packaging of what you think a black person should be. Right. And you gotta address that with yourself for why that feels odd to you. Um, I've never even thought for for someone like you, and again, you know, you yeah, you do love your rock music. Uh, once again, I've never seen someone that can sing every word to every fucking song that ever comes on the radio. It's really any genre, but specifically your rock, indie music, punk rock music. Um, yeah, and you're right, thinking back. I mean, growing up when I was a teenager in, in that punk rock sort of scene, I'm like, did we? I mean, we had my, our one black friend, Daryl, and that was it. And he, right? And you should have a conversation with Daryl and ask him. And he'll tell you, he'll probably tell you copious amounts of stories where yeah. he's just had to navigate it in a totally different way. And it, it's, do you know how much, do you know how much stronger you have to be yeah. to be, like, I'm just going to stay home and listen to this music at home. Cause it's not worth going and have somebody say something to you under their breath or push you or make you feel like you don't belong there. There's all of these things, but I love the music too much that nobody was going to stop me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to happen. Tying that in, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have a bucket list of places. Same thing when we talked about, you know, not going to a show because you don't feel comfortable. Are there places where you're kind of like, I really want to go there, but I'm not 
up for it because I'm afraid of what might happen. Um, I would say I just heard really horrible stories about Poland Mm. and about how people, they have a very, very vibrant Mm -hmm. and uh, very fully functioning neo-Nazi movement Mm. um, that I want no part of. So I don't, have a desire at all to go there. Like people are like, well, my God, we should go. We heard it's good. I'm like, you can go because you'll have no problem. I'm not interested because I could encounter the wrong person. And then somebody could decide that they could beat me up. And that's, that's it for me. I'm good. When I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation. I'm not there to get involved in these little spats with, with crazy people who have ideas about what they think black people are and they're looking to fight because they think black people are taking something from them. Not interested. I'm not about it. I like, re- I've been in fights with people in Australia. Like I went to Australia 2001. Mm-hmm. I got into a fight with a German guy talking about um, aboriginals and saying that they deserved it. They're lazy. Um, they never want to work. Uh, they are drunks. Um, they deserve it. Uh, everything that has happened to them, they are violent people. And then I had to school him because I was done listening to him. I said, you of all people being a German male, considering everything that happened with the Holocaust, shouldn't even be really opening your mouth about discrimination and injustice because here, where, where we are right now in Australia is the bedrock of injustice. It is horrendous what has happened to people. There was a system in place called rabbit-proof fencing. And what they would do within the system is they would take Aboriginal girls, like if you use um, residential schools, what we did here in Canada, the system in Australia, they would literally steal kids, Aboriginal kids, bring them and give them to different families, has servants, and their main goal the Australian government, and this is not like a hundred years ago. This was literally in the 1940s. Okay, yeah. this is Again, like, not that long ago, guys. This is not that long ago. So let's let's wake the fuck up. Yeah. So imagine that you're. I'll even use an example. So say say it's your family, Andrea. You're you've grown up with your family. This is all you know. In the dead of night, people come to your home, steal you and your sister, bring them to the city. You guys are servants and their main goal is to marry you off to very poor white Australians so they can keep intermixing just to get rid of Aboriginals. Right. Like how insane, that's their culture. That's their culture. That's, that's insane. And this is what Aboriginals are living with. Their land was stripped. As you know, Australians that were sent to Australia were prisoners of Mother England. That's why they're called Palmies. Yeah. Like these are, these are, this is not like, it's a cutesy thing that we say, but these were not good people that were going there. The English didn't want them. They stuck you there. That's what you were there for. And the Aboriginals welcomed you. And this is how you treated them like garbage and their curfews in place. Like I remember we went whitewater rafting at that same time. I was so shocked because my idea of Australia is like very environmentally, um, friendly people are like instead of you know you've been to australia and instead of saying um you're welcome they say no worries very chill very and there is a lot of that but there is such an insidious side there like when i would travel i would i would see it when we went whitewater rafting i remember that when we had a stopover but a cop i was in a bathroom and there was an aboriginal woman with her son a cop comes in right up to her she's like 
what the F are you doing out now? It's past your curfew. I was like, what? I was, I, I was in shock. I literally did a double take. The, this woman, the way she looked at me, like she didn't even matter. She cowered, literally walked away. And this guy's yelling at her saying, why are you out? It's past your curfew. Why the f- this is 2001. Why, why? She's a legal citizen of Australia. Why does she have a curfew? It's 830. Coming from Canada, again, we're viewed as one of these like cool, chill, laid back countries. And it's like, right. we have a lot to answer for as well. You know, like a lot to answer for. Only recently. Why, why are we putting, why are there residential schools? Why are we, we housing our indigenous people in areas where they're not even getting drinking water? I mean, I, I grew up in Brantford, which is, you know, right. we've got one of, I think it's the biggest native reserve. It is, yeah. Canada has six nations. Um, and uh, I learned a lot about, it's not like we learned this in school. I actually, I think I said this on a previous episode, but I used to work, one of my first jobs in radio was at the little radio station on the reserve, CKRZ 100.3. Yeah. <laughs> and I did sales there and I was the only white girl working there. So I learned a lot about, you know, their culture and the good and the bad. And they taught me about residential schools. And I'm like, wait, this didn't happen. And they were telling me, they're like, you know, the last one only closed in, I think it was like the nineties. Like it was, was I was alive then. And I'm like, what? I learned about, I'm like, why don't we learn about this in school? And all my colleagues were like, why the fuck would they teach white people about this in school? You know, they're like, it's a brushover. It's, it's, it's a history that's a lie. It's where you are only showing the good side of a person and not showing the exact spectrum of exactly who they were. Right. I remember even the more I learned about it, again, working on the reserve, like I was talking about Thanksgiving. Like most, of our, most of our listeners of this podcast are, are from Australia. So, um, you know, everyone's all, they always hear about U.S. Thanksgiving, which is not on the same day as Canadian Thanksgiving. People always ask, like, why is it different? I'm like, because we're two different countries. But Canada celebrates Thanksgiving in October. Um, and I remember learning when I learned about, like, all the horrible things that happened to Indigenous people in Canada from my colleagues when I was probably 21. I was like, why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? And they were like, there you go. And they're kind of like, I'm like, ah, oh, I never, you know, I never even understood the actual meaning of it. But I think it's, we know. don't. It's just like something that's brushed over that doesn't matter. What, why are we celebrating something where people were slaughtered and butchered? I think, you know, when it comes to, and I think we've said it before, when, when you're traveling and you're visiting like new countries, I think it's really important to learn the history, whether it's good or bad, you know, it's history. Um, yeah. And understanding and from these different countries. And like you said, in Australia, it's the same thing. Like there's a lot they've probably brushed over there's probably lots of people that have visited australia and they've never actually learned about these like no and it's like they're getting their you're you're saying that this person this 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 argument i had with this german guy in the daintree and when i was having this argument with him and he's trying to make these like undercover comments and overt comments about aboriginals i'm like why don't you ask yourself why this aboriginal is this way why don't you ask he got to that point that he was you need to ask the why because if you don't ask the why you cannot answer why he's doing that right but instead you just want to say that's how he is and that's and that's it yeah no it doesn't work, it doesn't work that way and just it doesn't things are in the past it doesn't mean it was okay and it doesn't mean it's okay now to say things like oh, just- that's, that's the same thing that somebody was if you were abused mm-hmm. okay so if i was an abused person abused for the first five years of my life do you think that goes away 
Exactly. Do you think that you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm good. You know what that does? It changes exactly who you were supposed to be. That's what it does. It puts a stain on you and changes who you were. So you know what you do? You have coping mechanisms, whether you become a drug addict, whether you find some sort of substance just to cope and survive because you weren't given the school tools to learn how to survive being raped. And then as you get older, you realized, oh, okay, I was molested as a kid. That was wrong. And what do I do with all of that stuff? And that comes out in all different ways, whether it be rage, whether it be alcoholism, whatever the case it does, it's going to come out and it's never going to look pretty. It's, you know, it is exactly, it's post-traumatic stress, you know, disorder where it comes out later on in different ways. Some people can cope with it. A lot of people can't and they find, or they can cope with it, but they find ways where they shouldn't cope with it. You know, and as you said, whether it's drugs or drinking and people are always surprised, like, well, well, people say like systemic racism doesn't exist. It's in our faces every day. You know, it's literally in our faces every day. And we, we like to lie to ourselves. We like to believe that it's gone and we like to tell ourselves all of these things. And listen, a lot of us can be surface, but the only way to change things and make them better is to go deep mm-hmm. and to really address what's going on. Cause if you don't do it, it's just going to be the same thing over and over again. And this, instead of this being a constant movement, it's just going to be a moment that's going to end and that's all it's going to be. And I don't think after what we saw with George Floyd, I honestly think that too many people are involved. This is the first time in my life that a majority of people besides just black people and say people of color involved. It's a lot of people that don't usually get involved are waking up to really seeing what has been happening forever and it needs to stop. Yeah. Has has there been anywhere you've traveled to, whether it's countries or cities that you would not go back to because you've experienced something traumatic or, and, and second part to that question, would you, even though you might feel like you wouldn't go back, do you think it's important though to maybe go back and keep pushing for, you know, showing up and being like, you know what, I am a black woman. I'm going to travel here because we have to keep going forward. If you know what I mean? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, no, I know, no, I know exactly what you're saying. And I would say that would probably be Venice. I was, I was there for a friend's wedding. She was getting married in Padova, um, just outside of Venice. And I just, I, I, first off, I found people very rude. And then on top of that, it was, I was just objectified and there were a lot of, there were a lot of prostitutes and they were all black. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what it felt like. It just felt like the men there were just constantly staring at me. Like I was there for their consumption. That's what it felt like. I took a gondola ride in Venice. I had two gondola riders basically fight each other to take me on the gondola ride. Right. Um, and they were making kissy noises to me the whole time. It was disgusting. Oh. It was offensive. It was gross. Um, it, I just felt like an object yeah. and had people be like, oh no, it's just cause you're pretty. I'm like, no, it, no, I'm like an object. I see what you guys don't see. I see that all the prostitutes here, they're all black. All of them. They're all black women. And I am a black woman. Um, so they are trying to come for me. They think that I am sailing for their consumption and it's disgusting. And did people know you were a tourist as well? Or? They did because of who I was with and who I was traveling with, but it didn't matter. 
because at the end of the day, they just considered me to be a monolith. And so it didn't matter. Like maybe I wasn't dressed like these prostitutes. Maybe I wasn't hanging out at a bus stop corner. It didn't matter. I always got the same looks. Uh, either I got the looks of, uh, I'm going to literally eat you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So disgusting. Or it was the women scowling and like saying nasty things. And I went with people that were Italian. So they heard what they were saying. There's times where it's uncomfortable enough to travel as a woman. And me, I mean, I'm saying this is like, I've been to Morocco on my own. I stick out like a sword. Right. I'm a six foot tall, blonde, very white. Right. And in a place like Morocco, right. you know, I was getting a lot of attention, but not because they thought I was a prostitute. You know, I just, right. I look different. Now you saying this, right. I can't even imagine. And I felt uncomfortable just people coming up to me, men, women, children, that made me uncomfortable enough. Now I can't even imagine adding on top of that, if I was black and not again, in your experience in Venice, someone thinking I was a fucking prostitute, how uncomfortable I would feel. And now just me thinking about it, I'm like, would I go back to Venice? Fuck no. And I get why you wouldn't want to go back. You know what? Maybe somebody else's experience is different, but that was, that was my experience. Yeah. That's how it was for me. And I, I love Spain and I still would, but I would never go back to Barcelona. Oh, no way, because it was the same thing. Right. I was just objectified. Like there was a whole crazy, insane experience where literally a prostitute stole my, stole my wallet, uh, pickpocketers right down by Portland Peak. And she pickpocketed me, took my wallet. And I like, I saw like out of the corner of my eye and chased her down proceeded to be like, where's my effing wallet? I will cut you and all the whole line and all of that stuff. She goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. I would never steal. She goes, we are the same. I said, we are not the same. Give me my wallet back because I'm going to get rid of you. So I proceeded to, while other, other people were coming out up the stairs, I was blowing up her and her friend's game. I'm like, they're going to rob you. They're prostitutes. Hold on to your wallets. They did not like this. They were going crazy. And it was, there was a, there was two guys. They just happened to be German. And the guy comes up and he's like, oh my, God, oh my God, thank you so much. And he says to me in the same heartbeat after I helped him, so he didn't get robbed because he was drunk and oblivious. In that same heartbeat after I helped him, he's like, why are you guys like this? Why are you guys like just robbing people like this? He said that to you? And I said, you guys. I said, I don't know her from a hole in the wall. She robbed me. I'm warning you, and you're saying, you guys, uh, we are not all the same. He goes, but you know, like, I said, I don't know what you are talking about. And I gave you a courtesy by telling you that she was going to rob you. I didn't have to tell you shit. And then he's staring at me in shock. And then his friend is like, yeah, that's not cool. At least his friend said something. And his friend had to say something. So it wasn't just me being the crazy one calling this guy out. But that's... That's how, that's his belief system. He believes that all black people are like this. And again, you saying this where you've got the pickpocketing story. And I think I've talked about this on a previous episode. I mean, every time I've been to Barcelona, someone in my group has been pickpocketed. Me as someone that's experienced, like I I had that, the story, I don't know if I ever told you, uh, one of my my ex-British boyfriend, not even, we won't use names, but uh, (laughs) when we were there years ago and like he got pickpocketed and I watched it happen and then I put the guy in the headlock, like a little Spanish guy. And I was like, give him his phone back. Anyways. Like that kind of tainted Barcelona for me a little bit. And then I went back for a a couple of years later 
And another friend of mine, he got pickpocketed. Now, again, I'm trying to like put myself in your situation right. where the same thing happened to you. But then on top of that, you were, you know, sort of pointed at being like, you put into that bucket of people that pickpocket, even though you gave the guy a fucking warning and you were trying to do good. Like, again, right. like, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I don't blame you for not wanting to go back there. You know, you did a good. Right? Why are you guys like this? What? It's funny, a lot, of, a lot of these places that you've mentioned, um, you know, Steph and I have been doing a lot of research and reading um, right. blogs from people within the tribal community that are Black. Yeah. A lot of these countries have come up. These, uh, you know, a lot of people have said Spain, Italy. One of them was Czech Republic. Um, you know, it's a lot of like Eastern or Central European countries, like you mentioned um, Poland. Um, and then yeah. the other one being the U.S. I mean, I think Steph had said on a episodes uh, a blogger that she follows had said of all she traveled to 150 countries and the one that she's most she felt most scared of being a black woman was going to the u.s but it seems like especially in europe there's a lot of recurring countries there is and the like you know what it is the fear is different like so in the u.s and i would say more so it's 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 insidious everywhere because a study from I want to say uh, 2017 or 2016, the most racist city in the United States. What city would you think that would be? Oh, God. Um, Somewhere in the South. No, no. Boston. Boston. Boston, right? But you know what I mean? Because we're all made to believe that the northern cities are like very, um, what's it called? Very liberal and very accepting. No. There's a difference. It's just undercover. They smile at you. They follow you around stores. That's what they do. So there's, there's, it's just a difference. And then you have like an Amy Cooper in New York who happened to be Canadian, by the way. What a disgrace. I know. But, no, 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 one of us. <laughs> she's one of us, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but that's what I'm saying. So it's, it works in that way for them. Whereas do you, if you're going to the South, they're just overt about it. They're just calling you the N-word to your face. Well, there is no if ands or belts about it. They're not smiling and then watching you leave the door, calling the cops and creating hell or making up scenarios and stories about you. Right. So in, in, our, in last week's episode, I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen yet, but Tion kind of said the same thing. Yeah. In the South, she's like, at least I know where people stand in the South. You don't like me, cool. And I don't like you. And we keep about our business. Where in other places, people are, as you said, it's more, they're following you around. They're keeping, yes. keeping you in check. Whereas she said, yeah. yeah, South, it's like, you know what? Cool. You can call me the N-word, but I know where you stand. I know that, you know. Right. There's not going to be, there's no errors. There's nothing where we're being fake. We're being phony. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. You're telling me exactly who you are. I know exactly where you stand. And I can actually be myself because I know you don't like me and there's no need to pretend. Right. Whereas they'll be smiling at you while you're at the store. They're like, can I help you? Do you need help with anything? I was even reading this, oh my God, this um, article about anthropology of all places. Mm. So workers now are just coming out and saying there was, they called them Nickies. So we have a Nicky in the store and you would hear it over the speaker. That's a black person. So they would follow black people around the store. I didn't even know that was a thing. No, I didn't it's either. Insane. I didn't even know that was a thing, but it is a thing. And now, so people were calling them out because they put up the black square and they're acting like they're all about Black Lives Matter now because it's convenient for them and it's popular and they want to be on the right side. And kudos to them if they've changed. 
But according to uh, former employees and current employees, that is not the case. They were told by upper management that if a Nikki comes into the store and you hear that, you follow that person around the store. Am I surprised? No. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and I get, yeah, a lot of these European countries, then I guess it's not maybe the in your face over. I mean, maybe it is. I, I don't know, but it's probably mixed. I think, it, I think it can be, and it depends on where you go. Like, I haven't encountered somebody saying the N word to me in a European country, but I don't understand their language. So if they're saying it in another language, how would I know? They could be saying something where in, yeah, in their, right. it's a, a racial slur and you don't even know. Right. Right. So when in, in Italy, one of my friends who I was with, she's Italian, she could understand Italian. And she said they were saying like derogatory things. So, and they didn't know that she was Italian. They just assumed that she wasn't for whatever reason. Did your friends say anything to them or did it just sort of... Well, you know what happens? You're in a foreign country and you're afraid. Right. Yeah. Right? And we're walking, we're walking through Piazza at night trying to get back to our hotel. So the last thing you want is to get all, uh, get all WWE and bust people's asses. Like, no, well, not about it. <laughs> I'm trying to arrive a damn alive. I'm not about it. I get it, and it's like like right I pick my battles. I'm not like I'm not a stupid teenager just looking for a brawl just to have a brawl with a bunch of ignorant people. No, thank you. Say it to me in Canada, though, and we'll see. <laughs> right, right. These people that like to run, drop things, and and run away. I, like, I don't think so. But I do have like the craziest story for me traveling was when so many years ago I went to Cancun, um, and you know it's just it's just a drink fest, right. and we. Were at her hotel, all of us around the pool. And there was one girl, she had like, her towel was a Confederate flag, so I knew what I was getting. Oh, no. um, always like, always made a conscious effort never to be where she was on her side of the pool, whatever the case may be. She would always randomly be staring at me, but I always made sure there was like, honestly, um, like it was like me, like Canada and China, that was the distance I made sure. <laughs> That's how far we were, because I didn't, I am on vacation. I'm not interested in her brand of insanity. I, was, I wasn't about it. Yeah. So I went to the bar. I went to go like get French fries because you know you need to get those carbohydrates in because you're drinking. For all that <laughs> I needed to rally. I needed to make it through the night. And I was fading fast. <laughs> so I was there talking to the bartender. We're laughing. And she comes up and she's liquored. She's, she's getting her courage. She's getting her courage on getting ready to spew some shit to me. And like, I just knew it. And I said, I was saying to the bartender, I'm like, okay, bye, I'm going. I'm like, I'm not entertaining this. She proceeds to start to like, but she's like, hey, hey, why do you ignore me? And I still ignored her, kept walking. She goes, I'm talking to you. Keep walking. I'm talking to you, Blackie. She called you Blackie? Yeah. Stop in my tracks and then continue to walk. Cause I'm like, she's not going to get me. I'm not about it. Mm-hmm. She goes, why are you in the sun anyways? Like, how much darker can you get? Like, you're just like a tar baby. Like, all of these things is what she's saying. I'm continuing to, I'm hearing everything. And in this moment, like, I usually have a very, very, very strong resolve. Still went back because I was not going to let her run me away from a pool. Sat there with my friend and I said, listen, uh, this girl's so fucking racist and is spewing all this garbage. but." She's not going to get me to leave here because she wants me to feel bad. So I legit, just out of sheer stubbornness, instead of like taking care of myself in that moment, I sat there for a full hour 
just to be like, you're not going to run me off. Mm -hmm. And after that hour, I got up, walked, went back to my hotel room. And I'm like, I said to my friend, I'm like, I need a moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she goes, do you want me to come back? I'm like, no, I'm okay. And I went to my room, into the pillow, and I just cried. And like, you felt, I felt so broken in that moment Mm -hmm. because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I wanted to bash your face in. You're lucky, or she's lucky I wasn't there. (laughs) And my friend was like, what? Like, no. And she wanted to do all the stuff. I said, listen, we are traveling and no. Yeah. This is what she wants. She wants she wants me to be crazy and this is what she wants. And I wasn't giving it to her, so it's driving her crazy, driving her insane. And the worst part as well, when we talk about travel, travel is a is a form of escapism, you know? Like people travel oh. to get away from you know, if it's something shitty going on back home or in their life, and it's a, it's a time where you can just escape and leave your problems behind. And again, as a white woman, you know, me, I, I've never, I've never worried about having to go somewhere and experience something like that, where I've, I'm worried that something might happen and I might have to go back to my hotel and have a big cry in my pillow. Just having these experiences, it's like that, it's, it's just so, you know, to take yeah. that part of the travel experience away from you. It's all right. It's, it's leaving a mark. Every time you go, you have, when you, you know, when you plan a vacation, you're, you plan what you, what you want to do, places you want to see, uh, hopefully interact with like people and have like a really good time and have like a piss. And the next thing, you know, no, that's taken away from you because you encounter an ignorant person and that becomes a part of your vacation story. You didn't want it to be, but it is, it's the reality. You've got, you know, it's supposed to be your good memories and, and your holidays and places you've traveled to, but, you know, along with if there's something bad that happened and if, again, you're experiencing that time and time again in all these different countries at some point even, and I know you, you're a strong fucking woman uh, and I feel like this kind of stuff wouldn't stop you from wanting to travel the world and experience new countries and places and cultures, but some people might just have enough where they're like, do you know what? I'm sick of this. It makes them recoil because like, imagine you're not like, I was raised by somebody who never took crap from anybody. Right. So it never mattered. Like, like that was my experience. My mother never took shit from anybody. Mm. So for me growing up, I always knew that no, nobody was going to call you out of your name. Nobody was going to make you feel a certain way. If they did, you, you always were able to respond and let them know that was not okay. And let them know firmly that this was the first and last time that they would ever say anything out of turn to you. So that's always been my reality. But also at the same time, I've been told, hey, listen, you can't always be fisticuffs and being ready for the fight because you could be in a place where... Like when you're traveling, you are not in the position of you have power and you can just come home or call on other people in numbers when you don't have that. And so it's like navigating all of this, right? Some countries, even just being a woman, you know, you exactly stripped of a so, lot of those. Right. And it's like, it's like a double whammy for me. I'm not only a woman, I'm black. It's, I can't walk into a room just like you can't walk into a room and just peel off your face and be become a white man, right? I can't peel off my face and become another skin color and become a man. (laughs) That's not happening. Right. Like I wake up every day in this body, in this skin, and this is what it is. I'm not going to be able to pass at any point. (laughs) Not that I want to, but that's how some people cope and survive. That's not my reality. Yeah. 
when we can travel again, Ash, are you coming to London? Yeah, I guess we'll come to London. Fucking hell. Shit. Yes. I mean, last time we were <laughs> we'll here. come and see your place. I know. And I've got a place for you guys to sleep. It'll be great. We'll hit some festivals in the UK. <laughs> Ashwa, thank you so much for coming on. This okay. is such a great chat. Um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, but um, as I said, it's just the beginning. So thank I'm you. Hopeful. Even after all of this, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Like I said before, this is the first time in my life that I've seen everybody on board and not just on board for, oh my God, that was horrible. It's, oh my God, that was horrible. What are we going to do to change it? So, wow. Good interview, Andrea. Thank you. And thank you so much, Ajwan. A lot of uh, content there. I know it was a long episode, but there were so many really important stories there that even when I was editing, I'm like, this all has to stay in. And well, it's just so eye-opening to really, she explains things so well, because sometimes you, you know, you know, people have different experiences, but since you don't feel it, it's hard to understand. And I'm just really grateful she came on because my mind is just reeling from all of that. No, definitely. Um, and yeah, again, we're super thankful for Ajwa coming on with us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Next week, we've got another great episode. We won't take yep. it up. We'll keep it a surprise, but... <laughs> I am excited for next week. So yeah. I don't know, though. I got to step it up, Andrea. Your interview skills are... practice practice you can interview me later this week if you want all right (laughs) perfect all right we'll see you guys next week all the shit i've learned abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel you can listen to us on multiple platforms from itunes to google play music and more and with that please if you have a chance give us a five-star review on itunes or whatever platform you listen on that drives us up the charts and really really helps us out Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit Have Learned Abroad Pod. Donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching all the Shit Have Learned Abroad. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.